how is it a widespread problem? Where the statistic? Where's the data? Who are they talking about? How many schools are we talking about? We have 450,000 teachers in the country. We have 10,000 schools. How many schools are they talking about? Give me so, the facts. So, 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 Harry, that's very interesting. You talk about facts. The question yeah. is, is the NUTP or the ministry collecting this data? Uh, is it being monitored by independent agencies so that uh, when something actually happens, it is reported and col- uh, captured in a database? Is there any of that happening? Okay. Let's look at the facts. How many people have reported about this? Besides the girl in the, in in question, how many in the recent? Day? Well, okay, so this is very interesting. You I mean, point to a, a very, very important you, thing. You you are yeah, constantly putting this the onus of the problem onto the victim, when in fact the question is, is is there recognition by NUTP that there might be a problem, and therefore it, it's worth investigating this. That was Harry Tan. Secretary General of the National Union of the Teaching Profession, NUTP, a body of significant influence and power on school policies speaking out against the National School Walkout Day on Estro Awani's Consider This segment. National School Walkout Day is an event which took place on 6 May where students walked out of school and classes to spread awareness on the Make School a Safer Place movement. During the interview, Harry questioned whether sexual harassment via period spot checks or rape culture was indeed a widespread problem in school. Unfortunately, he is not alone. Since this issue made its way into the public consciousness, many have taken to social media asking for proof of the problem, with government officials also reacting in the same manner. Senior Education Minister Datuk Mohamad Razi on 26 April commented, If it happens, tell me at which school, so actions can be taken. According to him, the Ministry of Education is investigating the allegations, but claimed that there was no indication that such practices existed. Since I lodged the police report on April 24th, the Education Ministry and many other quarters used pending investigations as a justification for not making a statement or acting on the issue. Despite this, Ayn continues to receive backlash and has since stopped attending school because she felt unsafe especially since the teacher in question was still in school. The headmistress allegedly called her a hypocrite and a devil's child on her Facebook account, which the principal now claims were hacked. And a rape threat was even made against her from a classmate. However, as a result of her non-attendance, Ayn has since received a warning of expulsion letter by the school authorities on 9 May. Only after immense pressure from civil society and the public in response to continued inaction was the teacher who made the rape jokes finally transferred to the State Education Department on 13 May pending the police investigation. Since then, no other action has been taken about the issue. My name is Aisa, and in part two of this special, where we deconstruct the issues and stories behind the Make School a Safer Place campaign, we will discuss the authorities' response to the problem and why it's so harmful. We also spotlight survivor stories and share helpful advice from NGOs on how survivors can seek help. We will end this two-part special by discussing the ways in which we can be allies to the cause and friends to the victims. 
To know more about the issues and concepts discussed in this episode, like victim blaming, rape culture, and online gender-based violence, please check out part one of this special, where civil societies unpack these concepts in detail. As before, part two will also be discussing distressing issues on sexual harassment, assault, and abuse. This is a trigger warning to those who may find these issues difficult or traumatizing to hear, as we will be really deconstructing these issues in detail as well as featuring some survivor stories. We hope you come back when or if you are ever ready to hear this discussion. We have also left some helpful numbers in our show notes for you to call should you need further help. You can also forward to the last five minutes of this episode where you can get detailed help on where to go and what to do should you be subjected to sexual assault. We thank you for tuning in to our special and we hope to keep this national conversation going for as long as it takes to keep our schools safe. The show must go on because God knows how many out there are waiting to speak up. Like on um, on my end now, I have nearly 700 stories now. And oh my goodness. Yeah, 7, 700. And the numbers are mounting up, which is like, we have a population of 34 million Malaysia. This is like not even 0.1%. But these people are real. Behind the stories, there are real human beings. That was Putri, founder of Save the Schools MY, a safe space for former and current victims of sexual harassment, abuse experience, and rape culture in schools to speak up. We asked her why she thought her platform got so many submissions and stories. I am glad that more people are speaking up, but also it's crazy to see that the numbers are mounting up because it is definitely way too common that what we thought about this whole rape culture and sexual harassment in schools. Most of the story senders were telling me that um, it's their first time speaking up, most of them. And they are glad that this platform exists so they can share without without the risk of being backlash or receiving any form of repercussions. And the victims, before they came to me, some of them already followed what you say, quote-unquote, the right channel. But often, they were being dismissed. And when they were being dismissed, usually they would get the backlash on their end. So... By this platform, uh, by this platform's existence, then more people are, uh, available and capable to speak up about their uh experiences. I think that it's really important for victims to speak up so that they are not being shunned out from the society when they are trying to speak up. Like this is like we're talking about an abomination that is very detrimental to the. Victims self-esteem to some point psychological process. So, and we're talking about schools, which is a place of nurturing souls of human being. So, if we are dis con we if we are continuing to dismiss this, then when are we going to come up with safer schools for learning and process to take place effectively for students to to be safe in their second home? And this thing is not just a one-off trend now. It's been in our society for so many decades. It's just that this generation, for some reason, are so amazing when it comes to their 
courage to speak up and we the adults we the elderly we need to learn better from these victims that uh from this generation that we need to speak up like because if we if we don't then the vicious cycle will continue and it will bring benefit to no one benda ini terjadi masa saya tingkatan 2 dada saya sedikit besar berbanding kawan-kawan saya yang lain jadi walaupun pakai tudung sekolah dada saya masih kelihatan masa tu hari suka sekolah saya dan saya dipilih untuk sertai acara lari 100 meter seperti biasa penyokong akan berada di tepi trek untuk menyokong peserta dan saya ditempatkan di laluan yang paling hujung yang mana dekat dengan penyokong acara dimulakan dan saya lari seperti biasa semasa saya berlari saya terdengar pelajar lelaki seperti bercakap tentang dada saya. Apa yang saya ingat mereka cakap, wow, melantun-lantun dan wow besarnya. Lepas dengar mereka cakap macam tu, saya lari perlahan kerana takut dengan kata-kata diorang. Selepas kejadian itu, saya tak pernah lagi masuk apa-apa acara sukan di sekolah. That was Kuljit, our community member who read out a story that was featured on Save the Schools MY platform. To date, the platform has published 374 stories. On 7 May, the Joint Action Group for Gender Equality, JAG, Bulan Sisters and Pertubuhan Pembangunan Kendiri Wanita dan Gadis, Women and Girls, released a press statement to address the statements made by Harry Tan. The press statement highlighted that while many teachers are non-perpetrators, they do practice silence and inaction, instead of immediately reporting the teachers who were perpetrators. NUTP's focus on reputation damage control connotes a disturbing need to save face for the teaching profession, at the expense of students who are meant to be protected by these perpetrators. According to the press statement, questioning whether sexual harassment, period spot checks, or rape was indeed a widespread problem allows the problem to happen quietly in lieu of creating sound protection policies for those who are vulnerable. Between 2013 and 2017, the Royal Malaysian Police, PDRM, had a total of 1,218 sexual harassment cases, which did not reflect the statistic of one in three Malaysian women having experienced sexual harassment, as depicted by the YouGov Omnibus research in 2019. Judging existing data as inadequate to evaluate whether the culture of sexual harassment and rape in schools is widespread, discounts the weight of stories shared by survivors online and offline. Here is Melissa Idris and Sharat Kutan from Consider This asking Harry of NUTP about rape culture in schools. I believe Harry's response not only highlighted society's ignorance and also the lack of awareness of the concept as well as the ease in which people dismiss this issue. Does the NUTP plan to respond to that, to the recent comments uh, made about rape culture, to the recent uh, allegations of period spot checks? Is NUTP doing anything about that? Well, as as you made it a very, you have made a very sweeping statement. You have said a rape culture is in the school. Now, you're not talking about rape culture. What is culture? Culture means everybody is doing it. That's culture. For example. 
You know, yeah, when culture, culture yeah, means to culture, normalize. You go to any school, you know, there'll be people talking about rape, the teachers will be joking about rape, the students will be joking about rape. So you're talking about culture, you're not talking about an isolated case, or you're not talking about 10 cases, or you're not talking about 100 cases, you're talking about culture. What does the culture mean? The word culture okay. is Harry, very Harry, you seem to take a very defensive position. Is this no, the I'm approach? Is this the approach of the NUTP? When critics come out, is your yeah. approach to say, oh, where's the facts? I mean, why do you take a defensive position rather than being open to an exploration of it? Why are you saying I'm taking a defensive position when I'm on the offensive? I'm saying, you give me the facts, you give me the data, you're making a sweeping statement. You're using the word culture. You're not saying the word, there is a problem. We have to look at it fair enough. You're saying there is a culture. There is a rape culture in the whole country of Malaysia. You're talking about there's a rape culture in Kuala Lumpur. You're talking about there's a rape culture in the infant, uh, in a, in the missionary schools. You're talking about there's a rape culture in the girls' schools. Are you fair? You're making a sweeping statement. You have not given me the data. You are not giving me. And then you suddenly you say I'm on the defensive. That is not fair to me. That was very painful to hear. And it makes me so angry no matter how many times I've heard it. And the sad part is that this is a conversation many people are having at home, in schools, on the government level, where parties in power tend to get defensive and immediately fall back on denying that there is a problem, that there is an issue, and pushing back instead to ask for proof for data. To understand this further, I asked Nisa from Chris Network why she thought this was the case. That there is a fear to acknowledge the sexual harassment and normalization of rape jokes and rape culture because authorities across the board have not been trained to acknowledge mistakes and shortfalls. So they are expected instead to protect the image of the school, the professions, etc. And there are no clear accountability mechanisms. So even our police officers have admitted that due to inexperience in handling these types of cases and lack of manpower, it has hindered empower, uh, enforcement. So when sexual harassments are not taken seriously enough and not handled correctly, students are put in a vulnerable position. So where schools should have been their safe space, we rob them of that privilege. This also encourages perpetrators to continuously commit harm as they are not being held accountable. So I think the fact that Ayn called out her teacher only encouraged students to continuously harass her is enough observation to prove this, right? That they do not take it seriously. And when the state announces that they do not acknowledge this, we continue to ignore the issue at hand and thus letting students be in danger. For Ayn, she could not go back to school for a couple of days. She was advised not to for her own safety. So I think, you know, this... It really showed that we were not prioritizing the victims. Instead, you know, we, we continue to let this harm, uh, manifest itself. So, you know, this also proves, this also doesn't prove to be helpful in combating sexual harassment and sexual assault in this country. Not acknowledging it is exactly why we lack data. While there are so many stories being shared all over Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I wonder what the ministry or the NUTP director hope to achieve by asking for data. Who is it that is supposed to be collecting this data? Ayn? Her parents? The public? Why is one case not enough to spark their own investigation process and data collection exercise? 
Let's go back to Putri to find out why she started her platform, Save the Schools and Why, and how she feels about politicians claiming that there isn't a problem and asking for data. I started the platform in Ramadan. So my Ramadan this year was the shortest Ramadan with less pahala, I would say, because <laughs> I've been angry reading at the stories is one thing. And then like when when you know who, you know, like the one that says yeah. on consider this, was the data? Exactly. I was about to ask the same, what's the data? Why am I a, a non-education employee who is an adult who has my own career path to work on, is working on this? Not that anyone asked me to, but because there's no one is is doing on is working on this, which is why I feel like okay lah, let let's just give it give this a shot. So if you're talking about data, I'm here, <laughs> and and also but that this platform is just a very minuscule platform. Like you are paid to work on the education sector. Where are you? Where's your team? Why aren't any of you mobilizing this? Why it takes me, why it takes other women's rights movement to do this? Like, what are you guys doing? You know, like, Aina is consistently saying that adults are failing here, failing her. Aren't you listening to her appeal for that, to her, to the point that macam merayu dah for people to speaking up, for the authority of power to be in charge? What are you doing? Where are your other two deputy ministers? What are they doing? Enjoying the salary, is it? Who? Because I'm not paid for this shit, okay? I'm just doing it solely for for the students, for the victims. Because I care. You know, if you want to be up there, at least act like you care lah. If, you, if you're not empathetic enough to give a damn in the first place. But if you, if you say that your blood boils, holy, I am surprised I don't have hypertension yet. <laughs> because I've been angry on daily basis thinking like... What are going to happen to these victims? What are the precedents that we're setting? What are what are the school leaders thinking about this? And do you know that the public school teachers, if they are in solidarity, they can't speak up because they are because they are because civil servants are bounded to some sort of contract where they can't go against the the do you know the employer? So a lot of a lot of teachers have. Uh, like you know, actually coming out in but but quiet, quiet lah. Like say like, oh hey, I support this, but I I am sorry, I can't speak up. But you can, so please. So as long as I'm here, as long as the platform is here, I'll just continue to platform stories lah. And if I don't orang menyampah, then then stay menyampah, stay uncomfortable. Cause I'm going to make your life uncomfortable until we're going to have some legit actions to be in place. Putri calls herself an accidental activist because her platform was born out of a need to do something since nothing was being done. And it wasn't pre-planned. She was angry and she did something about it. And it's sad that she even felt the need to do this because the authorities have failed us, have failed our students, have failed Ayn. Here to comment on the issue further is Bulan Sisters. I mean, does it really matter if it's a widespread problem or not? Because one case too much is... One case is already one case too much. And for every case that happens, you have to investigate it. How can you just dismiss it like this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it was really disappointing to see the MOE saying like, oh, tell me which school was it. When you have seen a claim itself, you should take it seriously. And when they are claiming that there is already the system in place, it shouldn't just be saying that, oh, we'll take action. There should be a very, very transparent process and shows that 
especially when it's already getting that national attention, the government should really take steps to show like NGOs and even like organizations like Bulan Sisters who are interested in this issue, show that they actually care for the students. Because right now, what I'm seeing from the MOE is that they seem to be just like covering up or like they don't even care at all, which is really disappointing considering that so many of them pride that, oh, children are like our next generation leader. But are you going to protect them until well, only when they turn adults? Like, are you not going to take care of them when they're still kids, when they're calling for a help now? This feels really disheartening as a whole. Just this, just like seeing how it has taken place and that we need a transparent process, especially in such an issue. Because if you don't have control and there isn't like a proper in- implementation system or investigation carried out, what? No, seriously, but tell me what is going to happen to these girls? Like, are we just going to completely brush them off if there's no control? <laughs> Just makes me so mad. I mean, it's not it's not even really about control. It's about you know these kind of checks and balances. So mm. if there's an abuse of power on one side, so so for example, like schools or what, then NGOs are the checks and balances that will help to mitigate all of these mm. consequences. And you know, we always learn in school that yo belia penentu masa depan. Hello, hello, do show it. Why are you just teaching this in school? But what you're showing to the students, it is all completely different. Yeah, I nak tanya, apa akan Datuk Suri buat ni kalau Datuk Suri mempunyai kuasa untuk buat pelbagai-bagai akta dan sebagainya? Dia gini, sebaik ada laporan, suarain suarakan, ya. sepatutnya segera Kementerian Pendidikan bertindak. Saya tegaskan, Tugas kita bukan menghukum, tapi menyiasat. Dan ini bermakna tidak menghalang anak-anak daripada menyuarakan pandangan mereka. Harus ya memberi galakan kalau dia ada satu pandangan yang jelas. Tetapi spesifik, baik, sebaik ada laporan, harus ada siasatan. Tindakan menyiasat segera. Ya. Bukan untuk menghalang dan menakut-nakutkan. Kemudian, pesan sampingan. Bila ada rasa cuak dan takut untuk ke sekolah, maka harus diselesaikan, dikenali masalah ini. Jangan dibiarkan begitu. Satu dua minggu biar nak tak pergi sekolah, itu soal dia. Tak betul. That was Ain Husniza speaking to opposition leader Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim in an online forum dubbed Bicara Anwar dan Ain with cartoonist Zunar. Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim said the Ministry of Education lacked conviction and was slow to respond in handling the case. I think the important thing he highlighted was the need for prompt and thorough investigation. And as highlighted by Bulan Sisters, for the investigation to be transparent so the public has faith in the process and the government when the ministry comes back and say, look, there isn't a problem. We know that at least an impartial and independent investigation was carried out. As covered in part one of this special, we talked about how Awam conducted a study where it collected and analyzed 275 testimonials shared by survivors of sexual assault and abuse. Unfortunately, a majority of these cases were period spot checks and most of their victims were children, with a majority of perpetrators holding positions of power over these students. Here to explain is Alisa from Awam. It, it, it's because parents, us- they send their kids there so that they can be taught and like, you know, protected by these people, these teachers, these wardens and everything. So 
it's disturbing to know that the people uh, who have these positions of power are doing these kinds of things. And technically, it should be the school system protecting the students. As a whole, as a general, like looking at all of the 275 cases, 7 to 12 year olds are actually the biggest group. But 13 and 15 year olds are the biggest group in terms of period spot checks. Knowing that 13 to 15 year olds are still getting kind of um, are the majority for period spot checks, these are when girls' bodies are changing, when they first muscle secondary school, when they really um, kind of change their appearance so they look more mature. And they've also entered a new um, environment, like outside of primary school. So now they're considered teenagers, they're considered older. And teachers and even students in power, like prefects and other seniors, um, take advantage of that. I attended an all-girls school and someone didn't throw her pad in the designated place and was reported by someone. Because of that incident, the entire Form 2 was on hold to get checked to find out who did it since it was found in the F2 toilet. I remembered that the prefect asked us if we were on our periods. I was on my period but towards the end. The prefect told us not to move and she touched us down there to feel if there's anything there. The whole class was uncomfortable the whole time. The prefect's face was also uncomfortable, which kind of indicated that teachers might have told her to do it this way. The whole thing took place two days before March holiday, and I slowly forgot about it throughout MCO. That was our community member, Alison, reading out a story from Save the Schools and Wise platform. With many people asking for data, it is sometimes easy to forget the people and stories behind the numbers. Recently, Save the Schools MY, along with several other NGOs, did a live reading on some of the stories shared on the platform. I remember watching the event on Facebook Live and feeling sick to my stomach. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one because these stories are so very difficult to hear. It is absolutely true that one case is already one case too many. In a span of 10 days, Awam, with the help of activist Terry Dai Hayden and Nalisa Alia, collected the 275 testimonials we were talking about earlier. Putri has received 700 submissions through her platform, which only just started on 27 April. And this is just, of course, the tip of the iceberg. We don't know how many more victims or survivors there are out there and how much they are suffering because they aren't able to speak out. And behind every story is a real person with their own set of struggles and trauma. So we asked Putri, what were some of the stories she was most shocked and overwhelmed about in order to spotlight the horrendous nature of some of these stories? You know, when people ask me which story is the most overwhelming, right? I feel kind of bad, you know, because... Uh, it, it, you don't want to prioritize a story yeah, yeah, over like, another like, yeah. there's no pain is greater than another but mm. of course if you want to let's say berpijak di bumi nyata there are stories that are, that carry more weight than the rest lah macam but it's not me in any sense are trying to uh, cancel out any other stories but I think if there's anything that overwhelms me is the fact that more male victims are speaking up so so here's the thing, Tao. Like we need to to be true to ourselves that it's very rare for male victims to share their stories. So when they share their stories, usually it's man to man kind of harassment kind. So the details are more brutal, and 
it felt very sick in the stomach lah. And another thing that overwhelms me is the fact that when I first set up the platform, I never thought that for some reason tak terfikir yang such things can happen in primary schools and kindergarten as well. But I have oh. stories, I have stories where this this victim kena harass as early as five by a by a perpetrator at her age. Apa sih budak lima tahun buat, you know, like harago and harassing people, which which really makes me thinking like in what kind of environment is our boys being uh, raised up you know kalau nak a story that particularly struck me i think there's two that i can remember number one uh number one is the fact that there was this one victim two weeks before her spm she kena assaulted by her schoolmate who wear um a f- a facial mask, uh, holding a kitchen knife, and attempted rape in her residence. So she was stuck, I think, two to three weeks before the event happened. And when she... And then the, the guys kena tangkap, right? So uh, apparently it was a bet, a true or dare kind of bet. Like, we say, hey, I dare you to go and rape this student, you know? And then when, when the student lodged a police report, the report was completely dismissed. And the headmistress found out about it the next day, but were completely dismissed as well. So, dah kena dismiss satu hal. And then, they kena backlash from the school community, from the boys for saying, kau lah mengundang, and from the girls also, macam, it's your fault. So, she does. She didn't have any form of support system. The only support that she was receiving at that time was from her close friends and her mother. Nasib baik, her mother believed her. Because a lot of victims are weren't not weren't empowered for speak uh, to speak up for themselves. That's one story. Lagi satu story. It was uh okay. So this student, uh, she was groomed. Okay, this student, this victim is a female. Yeah, she was groomed by her ustaza. Yeah, well, grandma, well, ustaza, and then like, macam, you know, the ustaza like seduce her, saying that, oh, I love you lah, like if for if it's not for my kids, I would have brought you home lah. If you're a man, I wish I could marry you lah. And then when the family found out, the entire burden was anchored to her. What uh, do you mean by burden? As in like to prove or to um the blame? You know, like oh, you're the one who is at fault for not knowing your boundaries. She's just a school kid you know like macam why nobody is lashing out at the ustazah and even as we speak she's, she continues to receive consistent harassment and whatnot. so these two stories in particular memang memang stuck in my head because to think that it's so messed up on so many levels to the point that the victim blaming and shame culture is being driven the society to the point yang when a victim try to speak up for themselves they're gonna kena taunt In part one, we really do a deep dive on victim blaming and rape culture in school and why this culture of shaming and backlash silences the victims and allows the abusers to keep harming more people. Here, it is important to be reminded of the common myths and misconceptions when it comes to sexual harassment so that we don't make the same assumptions as well. Here is Amanda from Safe Campus explaining further. I think some of the popular myths and misconceptions on sexual harassment that we always hear are around survivor's clothes. Clothes are the reason for us to be sexually harassed. That's what we always hear. 
but we know that in fact the clothes of the survivors of sexual harassment varies right from from bajukurung to school uniforms so it is very crucial to know that whatever types of clothing that survivors are wearing or we are wearing it does not give consent for us to be sexually harassed or for the survivors to be sexually harassed this myth is always embedded in our mind since we were little kids we were always taught to wear proper clothing clothings that will not expose our body parts and as for me i was always told that expose clothing will invite people to harass me another myth around sexual harassment is that it does not happen to men but we know that in fact it happens to all people regardless of your gender and regardless of your race age and also behavior based on our um findings our survey findings in safe campus it was revealed that in one in three survivors are male students our advice to sexual assault survivors is that it is never your fault no matter what happened or when people question you why you didn't fight when it happened it is never your fault it is always the perpetrator's fault and not yours the rape culture is rampant and has been going on for many many generations and this is a sign that it has been normalized in our community for far too long we also advise to survivors to record the incident if you can write down the details of the incident if you can and to talk to someone that you feel comfortable about it you deserve to feel safe and everyone has the right to be free from discrimination and this includes sexual harassment i have classmates who would always use rape or anything sexual as jokes i remembered putting on my glasses and i remembered one of them saying i looked like mia khalifa upon star I was called by the name for the whole day and them degrading me because I'm no match to Mia Khalifa so I never wore my glasses ever again especially not around them I don't even care if I can't see they still sometimes call me by their name and whenever they do I just had to laugh it off it doesn't only happen to me but also happened to some of my female classmates which is very upsetting That was our community member Abigail reading out another story from Save the Schools and Wise platform. Sometimes we don't realize how much our quality of life is diminished when rape culture is present and when our girls are sexualized and victims are expected to fend for themselves. Here to comment on why there is actually a lot of data is Nisa from Chris Network. So not acknowledging it is exactly why we like data. While there are so many stories being shared all over social media, and all you have to do is ask. So we saw that with the campaign that has been happening lately about uh, the period checks that has been happening in schools for decades. This is not a special case. This is not happening uh, only recently, and not only to few schools. This has been happening to many, many schools, and for many decades. And almost every girl has experienced this. So. To say that there is no data, or uh, when we have this many stories, it just shows that we are not paying attention. The problem here is not lack of data. The problem here is that why are we not believing the voices of young women, right? And why are why are there people continuously allowing this behavior? When we do this, this only normalizes the inappropriate situations that can only further traumatize girls and normalize harmful behaviors of 
boys and men. So this includes like you know grooming. When grooming happens, how do how do students know that this is happening? You know, um, sexual harassment, sexual assaults. How do they know it's happening? When girls or even men or boys realize really late in life that this has happened to them, like this causes a huge uh, amount of trauma that needs to be addressed. And how do you how do you do that? You know, how do we stop this practice from happening for a really long time? How do we do that? Indeed, a question that everybody is asking the authorities, but we're not getting an answer from. And with things moving the way that they are, sometimes it's best to initiate the change ourselves. Many may think there is nothing that can be done, but in actuality, there are so many ways in which teachers can make school a safer place, even on their own effort individually. Here is Alisa from Awam explaining how. The first thing is actually to be aware that this is not an isolated issue. You know, this is happening throughout all different kinds of institutions. Like I said, like all the sekolah gamma, class kafa, secondary schools and everything. And obviously now we have the numbers to prove it. Um, and to be aware of it is actually to know that it needs to change. And this change can happen with one person, but it's a lot more effective when like a lot more people are involved. So the first thing is training and education. Um, and not just for the students, the teachers need to be educated on um, on what sexual harassment is, how to combat it, and also about consent. Because like a lot of this comes out from like the gray area of consent or not knowing or the gray area of not actually knowing what sexual harassment is so people can get away with it. Um, and this culture didn't just happen, right? It ha- it was normalized after years of like silence and inaction so the teachers can actually break this cycle by educating themselves and and then their students and um awam actually does trainings like this i think we've actually taught uh, we've done trainings with teachers before to actually have them learn what uh, sexual harassment is and how to talk about it with their students and stuff like that so if there are teachers who are kind of um, more interested in in knowing about that, then, you know, you can contact us at Awam. Because the thing is, a lot of, a lot of, it's through no fault of their own sangat. It's just, again, it's just how we're brought up. It's just this cycle of education that normalizes rape and sexual harassment. And many teachers in these schools are actually counsellors. And I think... Um, Ayn actually said that she tried to talk to a counsellor, right? A counsellor at her school. And then, and then, yeah, and then they said that, oh, biasa lah tu, boys will be boys. It's just a joke, kan? Yeah, you're so sensitive, you're so emotional. And then this, because counsellors are supposed to be the place uh, that children, the students go to actually get advice. Um, so for a counsellor to actually kind of say these things and perpetuate this culture some more, it actually creates another barrier for uh, survivors to actually speak up. And because they'll be saying, oh, it's a, it, uh, am I just making a big deal about this? Is it, is it not actually sexual harassment? Is it just normal? So that, that creates um, a barrier from, like, they can't seek help anymore. Like, they don't want to. And so these counsellors actually need um, you know, gender sensitivity training, just knowing gender roles, talking about, um, you know, healthy relationships, consent. Teachers can actually um, use their classroom 
to actually, you know, facilitate a healthy debate. I think a few weeks ago, there was a male teacher who I think it came out in the news. Uh, he taught in an all-boys school and he actually used his classroom to actually uh, talk to his, cho- his uh, students about sexual harassment and rape. And then that's something that individual teachers can do. Like, say you're teaching like biology or anything and then you have a free time at the end and then they'll be like, oh, what do you think about the mixed school a safer place thing? What do you think about this thing? So it, it helps kind of the children kind of articulate their thoughts and then the teachers can also help guide them to, um, you know, uh, into thinking that sexual harassment is wrong. Tama sekali saya ingin jelaskan bahawa kami di Kementerian mengambil serius perkara ini. We cannot tolerate this. Okay, kita tidak akan bertoleransi dengan perkara sebegini. Namun begitu di berkat kementerian kita sedang melaksanakan penyiasatan yang mendalam dan kes ini telah menjadi kes polis. Tapi saya ingin tegaskan kepada umum bahawa kita mengambil serius kita sedang membuat siasatan yang cukup mendalam untuk melihat keadaan sebenar dan sekiranya didapati terdapat kes maka tindakan yang sewajarnya dan tindakan yang tegas akan diambil ke atas kes tersebut. That was Senior Education Minister Datuk Muhammad Razi speaking to the press on 28 April saying that period spot checks and rape culture should not be tolerated and that investigations are underway to do something about it. It has been more than a month since the ministry has made this statement. However, to date, nothing meaningful or conclusive has since been done. So what can we do? How can we be better allies? And as students, how can we better protect ourselves? As per the motto of this year's International Women's Day, we have the power and even the responsibility to change the injustice around us. So let's choose to challenge rape culture, abuse, and sexual harassment in schools. Here is Bulancisus explaining how we can help. There's all these like social justice warrior. You have to talk about it like 24-7 on your Instagram. You cannot go a day without reposting like, oh, um, justice for this person makes school a safer place. But honestly, as students or like just in our everyday life, what we can do is just to speak up whenever we see or hear anything that's like, you know, you just don't think it's right. And it just can come in a way of like, hey, I don't think that's... I don't think that's very nice or like yeah. yeah hey like you know that's that's not nice like can you just delete it because I think like it might be like misunderstood mm. and yeah you don't even need to like oh cut all ties be super dramatic and like no just because you said something but I'm not gonna be your friend anymore that's not true <laughs> yeah it's really these kind of everyday things that make up the culture mm. make up the norm that we have now and currently because everyone is thinking like oh um Ayah, it's just a passing comment that they made. No, I'm sure he doesn't mean it. He's just joking. No, all of that really forms this whole society culture and this whole norm. Yeah. And every time we hear something that remotely sounds like, remotely might be taken wrongly, even if you're not really sure, I think it's better to just communicate and just say like, oh, sorry, I don't think that's very so- like socially acceptable, mm. but... Actually, I recently read in an article about the differences between an activist and an advocate. So an activist is someone who has personally experienced an issue and is speaking out about it. And an advocate is someone who listens and tries to act upon what the activist has said. And I think that within all of us, yes, there's an activist in us, but 
if you're someone who has never experienced it, like personally, like myself, but instead, I think you can still act as an advocate and use the opportunity that's happening now to actually educate yourself and learn what exactly and how you can help to just like remove like rape culture and understand the implications behind it. Because like you say, like all the small things can amount to something so big and you don't have to be super aggressive, especially if you have, you, you don't, you have never experienced it before. You might not know even like, oh, do I have the right to say it? So yeah, if you're thinking that way, then use this space to listen and amplify voices instead. Because again, like advocacy also is a bit of like a spectrum. There's so many different ways to do it. And you don't have to be a certain, portray yourself in a certain way. And yeah, you can just listen. You can just like, speak and just make like small comments here and there and it can still add up to a lot so yeah, yeah. just bring in here what Bulan Sisters has been doing and what how we were even founded because like Bulan Sisters we actually just like four menstruators who were high school friends and then we were talking in a zoom call one day during the pandemic of course and we realized that period policy is an issue that is barely talked about in Malaysia like like it is happening but there are no national statistics for example or like the fact that there isn't like the government itself doesn't have a proper budget for for periods and that king tax itself which is the tax for like um menstrual goods has, was only removed very recently in like the last five years or so so for us in our case we did try to be a, a bit of an advocate where we listen to some of the underground people and ask them what they need and then we try our best to become activists in the sense of founding our own organize, youth organization and try to empower people and creating like a safe space for just queer conversation. So again, like I do think, I think there are a lot of great examples out there, but I'd like to say that like even for people like me and you, where we are just like probably like a bit of a small fry, we hope that our story can also help to inspire you to take action to, yeah, to make schools a safer place and to speak out about period spot checks and the sexual harassment in schools in Malaysia. I love that origin story so much and it reminds me of Putri's own story on how she became an accidental activist. Bulan Sister's journey started with a Zoom call and yours can start in the same way too. What's important here is to educate yourself. Being aware of these issues makes you more empathetic and more empowered to make those changes in your social sphere, no matter how big or how small. Kirat from Women's Aid Organization talks about how we can be allies to survivors and encourage them to speak up. She provides helpful and actionable steps to ask ourselves the right questions in order to confront our own personal biases, to be mindful of the language that we use and the exact things to say to survivors in order to help ease their struggle. The big thing that we can do is reject and speak out against rape culture. This shows survivors that you are an ally, that you can be trusted, that it makes you a safe space for them to be able to come and disclose their experience, right? So what does standing up to rape culture look like? Okay, it can be simple, you know, as simple as avoid using language that objectifies or degrades people, right? It can be something as hard as speaking out, like what I did, um, of someone else who is making an offensive joke or is trivializing rape, right? If you think about it in Malaysia, um, when you hear your friends speak, how many times have they seen things like, oh my God, this one football team raped the other football team? That's not funny. And that shouldn't be an acceptable, 
right? Rape is a really serious, horrible, awful thing. Another thing you can do is unpack and think critically about, you know, what the media's messages are about women and men and relationships and violence, right? How is, how is that framed? Um, another simple thing that you can do is be respectful of physical space, right? Even in casual situations. Um, if you need to sit and intrude somebody's physical space, ask first. I think that's something people um, don't do often, right? Um, is it okay if I sit here? Um, can I um, use your laptop instead of just immediately bending over somebody's shoulder, right? Um, practicing consent is so important and practicing consent not only with your sexual partners, right, but also consent as a culture, practicing con consent in whatever you do, whether it's with a small child, whether it's with your parents, you know, um, it's, it's, it's these small things that help create change, right? Um, think about how you define, um, you know, gender, right? What makes a man? What makes a woman? What are what stereotypes um, shape your actions, right? Let's try. Let's try and uh, break out of those stereotypes. Another really important thing is being an active bystander, right? Um, here are some important things to remember when somebody discloses to you, maybe, right? Some really powerful things that someone can do is to just say, "I believe you." I believe that this happened to you. Um, that is so powerful because often the first reaction to assault, a uh, first reaction to violence can uh, is always um, survivors being disbelieved, right? It's already so difficult for survivors to come forward to share their story. They might feel ashamed. They are concerned that you might not believe them that they're making things up or they'll be worried that they'll be blamed, which we can see, right? Whenever someone comes up and says, this awful thing happened to me, that's what happens, right? Um, another thing that you can say is that it's not your fault, right? You didn't do anything to deserve this. Because sometimes survivors blame themselves, especially if um, they know the perpetrator personally. And statistics show yeah, that more often than not, um, sexual assault survivors know their perpetrator. Okay, um, it's important to remind the survivor, sometimes several times you might have to do this, that they are not to be blamed. Um, you are not alone, right? If this is survivor is your friend, is your family member, you are not alone. I care about you. I'm here to listen. I'm here to help. I'm here to be your support space. I'm here to be your safe space. This lets the survivor, survivor know that they can come to you. Right, that you know, more often than not, <laughs> we all have this feeling. Right? I, I don't want to trouble this person, but you need to tell that person that look, trouble me, please trouble me. I I am willing to help you, right? I'm here for you. That's so important to hear. Um, you can also say things like, "I'm sorry, this has happened. This shouldn't have happened," right? Because you know, survivors often struggle um, with this thing that happened to them. You know, it's acknowledgement of the experience, uh, this experience that has affected their life, right? Um, because it is tough for them. It is a bad situation that has happened. Um, and they need a space to be, to feel safe, right? To be able to express this. Avoid judgment. This 
is something that um is very 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 important everybody doesn't want to be judged right um and sometimes it's difficult to watch a survivor struggle sometimes they do uh, self destructive things sometimes they do damaging things right um and sometimes it takes a long time for survivors to heal and our role as their support system as their person is to be supportive and avoid judgment right um don't say things like you've been acting like this for so long how much more longer can you feel this way you know everybody's journey to recovery is different uh make sure you check in periodically the event might have happened maybe a year ago or a long time ago but that doesn't mean um the person is over it right um the check in is important so that the survivor knows that you still care Many of the criticism levied against Ayn and a lot of other victims actually is why they didn't go through the right channel especially those who started sharing their stories online. However, the right channel is often perceived as making a police report and going through the court process. That process is actually really really difficult. Here is Nisa from Chris Network talking about how there is really no need to pressure victims and survivors to report especially if it causes revictimization so i think as allies there is this pressure that we need to make sure that the case goes reported and it is important that we hope that available for victims um and we want that to be available for victims right so but there is this thing called re-traumatization and revictimization that is incredibly heavy for victims when they have to retell their stories and they have to relieve that situation i think we just need to understand that not all victims report and when not not when victims don't want to report we have we cannot push them we have to be there for them and we have to help them get through it and if the victims do want to report we have to keep supporting them because the process is not easy it's not just report get arrested and be done with it you know and that's a huge thing that people always have a misconception of uh which is why when victims come out with their stories on twitter or on any forms of social media platforms people will always respond with why didn't you report when people make a report it's it's having to make sure that the authorities believe you it's having um e- enough evidence it's it's having people believe you it's being treated right and when you know how long is it going to take until you go to court it's going to court having to re-explain your stories again you did that at the police station you did that in the court now and you have to keep telling people this causes so much revictimization um people don't talk about this when we talk about reporting and we want to encourage people to report we want to encourage them to come forward so in order to do that and to be the best ally we have to continuously support them we have to give them as much as they need so they will have the strength to keep going and not undermine them if they don't want to make the report so really the answer is you know uh reading up reading up as much resources as you can knowing the basics is already good enough just knowing the proper channels to direct them to you know it could be WAO it could be press network <laughs> it could be um awam you know it could be anyone uh, just the fact that you have those channels uh, you know who to call is good enough um even mental health clinics right so knowing uh spaces like 
befrienders or even uh, mental health Malaysia Association, PPUM, you know, government hospitals that offer uh, therapy and all that sort of stuff. Um, another thing is also the one-stop crisis center uh, for victims who have experienced assault. This is the one thing I realized that a lot of people do not know, even though it's the most basic um, knowledge to know, that I feel like every citizen should know um, that there is a one-stop crisis center for victims of assault, for them to go to, you know. Even that, that is the most basic thing that we should know. And just knowing that, being able to have that resources uh, and to hold that and for somebody to come to you and ask you, what do I do? That, that is the most helpful thing you can do as an ally, to continuously read up the resources and to hold them near to you and to be as supportive as possible and to always be kind to victims. As you mentioned earlier, the survey conducted by Awam found that most perpetrators of sexual abuse were people in positions of power, people that are difficult to say no to, to stand up to. After we published part one of this special, there was a survivor who reached out and told us about how her teacher kept harassing her through her phone and how she didn't know what to do and she was afraid that when school reopens, this teacher will harm her physically. She had talked to other teachers but no one wanted to do anything about it. They didn't want to rock the boat. And this can sometimes feel quite frustrating, having no power to do anything, to make a change. However, there is always something that we can all do. The student who reached out to me figured that there may be other victims out there and started reaching out to other students in her school that was taught by the same teacher. She found that he was also harassing other students as well. Empowered by the need to do something about it, she made a police report with her auntie so that further action can be taken. While making a police report is always ideal, as Nisa said, there are many other things that a survivor and ally can do in order to help. So please don't feel apathetic or disempowered. There is so much strength in your story alone as well as in your conviction to create a change. In the train, a man approached and sat beside me. I feel a little weird saying that there were a lot of empty seats, like five seats, and there is um, many other coaches as well, and he do not hesitate to sit beside me. But that time, I do not think anything suspicious. After the train movie, after the train moving, uh, he started to touch and fill up my waist with this elbow. Oh my god, I really feel uncomfortable with this action. I I try to push his elbow away, but he doing again and again. I was speechless and feel vulnerable for not ever to doing anything. My body suddenly become tense. Before reaching my station, I get up and sit back quickly to get attention from the nearest people in my train coach and look at, at him. He knew that the people start to watch watch him and he quickly walks away getting out from the train. From that day on I become paranoid whenever uh, whenever the train is crowded with people and when a male near to me or 
I surrounded by men in a public transport. When I think about this incident, I want to report the action and speak up. This also made me aware and finding more knowledge about uh, social issues, including what's uh, happening right now and also the people's rights. That is another anonymous story shared with us by a community member. While the spotlight has been on sexual harassment in schools, we must not forget that while rape culture is present in school, it is also normalized in other social spaces. And there are also many other instances of sexual assault outside of our own private spaces, on public transportation and by strangers. And it does affect our mental health and causes trauma and paranoia when we lead our lives. In one of Seek to Speak's female speaking club meetings, Women with Words, I remember a 16-year-old teenager telling me that she hated being born a girl, that her gender doomed her to a life of disadvantage, that she couldn't go out and experience independence like the other boys because she would risk being harmed, that she can't wear the clothes that she wanted because her parents say it will invite danger. And it was so sad to hear someone so young feel that way about our country, about the society that we live in. Previously, we were talking about how we can be allies to students and the cause, how teachers can raise awareness, how we can support victims. Now, we also want to discuss things that survivors can do should they experience any instances of sexual abuse. The following are helpful advice shared by Kirath of the Women's Aid Organization, Alyssa from Awam, as well as Amanda from Safe Campus, telling you exactly where you can go, what you can do, and which number to call should you need further help. If you are a survivor of sexual assault or any other forms of gender-based violence, uh, please reach out to Women's Aid Organization. All of our services are free and confidential. Our social workers are professionally trained and we will be able to support you through this process. Um, they will help you weigh your options. They will help you um, see which direction you want to go to next. Um, all of this uh, will be led by you. You will be making the decisions about uh, your journey from here. Um, WAO will not uh, pressure you or force you to make police reports and things like that. You can even call our hotline uh, and use um, a fake name, you know, if you want to preserve your identity and are not ready to disclose your identity for now. Um, you can call us at any time on our WAO hotline at 03 3000 Or you can even SMS or WhatsApp us, uh, WhatsApp Tina, 24 hours a day at 018-988-8058. Or if you need more information, you want to learn more about what we do, you can visit our website at wao.org.my. I, I just want to say that it's actually easier said than done. So any survivors are actually even thinking of uh, getting help. It's very brave because it, 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 it takes a lot of guts and courage to actually, you know, uh, seek help and try to talk about your trauma and try to move past it. So I think the first thing you can actually do is uh, talk to someone you trust. So that can be a friend, that can be a family member, it can even be us at Awam. Um, you know, our Telnita um, helplines provide like free uh, counseling and legal information services. And um, you can WhatsApp, Telegram, call directly to us. So it's um, 016-237-4221. Or alternatively, you can just reach out to us on social media at Our Malaysia because there's always someone that ha- that can help you and lead you to the 
to the right place. Um, I think it just helps to know that you, the thing that happened to you is inherently wrong. And it helps to know that not everyone is going to side with the perpetrator, that there are people on your team. So that support can come from your friends, can come from your family, can come from other NGOs. So it's, it's just helpful to know that you did not do anything wrong, you know? And the second thing is to know your rights. So um, we've talked to uh, some survivors about this, about recording the incident. But, um, and yes, it's hard to actually relive that or actually screenshot it or look through your audio and stuff like that. It can be very traumatizing to actually relive the experience. But it is important if you want to make a police report because you can actually use that as evidence. So, um, so if you have the evidence, if, even if you if you go to the police station, someone from Awam can actually accompany you. We've we've done it multiple times before for to help survivors actually make a police report. To have someone who knows kind of the ropes, who've done this before, and they can actually lead you to where you need to go and talk on behalf of you, it really helps. So. It, yeah, it's just in terms of knowing your rights and knowing that you can record, that you can save evidence, that you can, again, uh, write an email or a letter and then give it to yourself even because that's still a record. So, and even if you don't want to make a police report, because I know, uh, again, it can be traumatizing to go to the police station, it's just um, helpful to know um, where you stand and what your next steps are if you want to take them. When you feel ready, make a report. Report to the university's management or call to the nearest police station. There is also Talian Kasi. And for Sabah, you can call Sawo's helpline at 288-280-200 or 011-2790-8020. This concludes our two-part special on Make School a Safer Place. I hope your own journey to make schools a safer place doesn't end here. Keep fighting the good fight and keep being allies to the cause. I would also like to thank everyone for not just listening to the end, but also to everyone who contributed to this episode. Thank you to all the brave survivors who shared their stories. And thank you to our community members, Kuljit, Abigail, Allison, and Priya for lending your voice. Thank you as well to Alisa of Awam, Nisa from Chris Network, Kirath from WAO, Putri from Save the Schools MY, Iris and Jiaying from Bulan Sisters, Amanda from Safe Campus, and Amelia from Speak Up Malaysia. If you don't already know who these NGOs are, please, please check them out and the services they offer as they really do good work. We will be sure to link their socials as well as their websites in the show notes, so do check them out. We truly hope we did justice to all of your stories and views. And if there was any mistake that was made on our part, I apologize dearly and we would actually really really like to hear from you this is especially since season two is now officially concluded and we are taking a month off to work on season three tell us what you like what you don't like and what you want more of or better yet join our community and get directly involved in the work that we do special thanks to kelvin from renegade radio and his team for working around the clock to sanitize more than three hours worth of audio that went into this special and lastly i would like to thank myself 
for the work that I did on this episode. But to be honest, while the circumstances are unfortunate, it was such a joy to find community as well as to speak to other people who really, really care about the cause and who want nothing but the best for our students and our schools. To all of you who have shared your views and stories and are talking about this, to Ayn, the brave teenager who sparked this movement to begin with, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to spotlight your stories and for the inspiration you give to others to speak out. This is Aisa signing out of Season 2.